<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And my guest this week is entertainment reporter Arlen Peters. Now, Arlen had been a guest on my show about a year and a half ago. And he is an entertainment reporter and has all the dish on all of these celebrities. Now, you are going to find this interview very interesting. And if you hadn't heard him before, you're going to want to go back and listen to episode 48 and 49. But... Arlen Peters, as we mentioned, has worked for CBS TV, CBS Radio. And you know all of those behind-the-scenes featurettes they do for movies? Well, he was behind a lot of those and, as a result, interviewed just about everybody. This week, we are going to get into some specific movies like Dirty Dancing, American Beauty, uh, Best in Show, Ghostbusters. We'll also talk about uh, a number of celebrities like Julia Roberts, Harrison Ford, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Christopher Guest, all of the SCTV people. Also some writers that he has interviewed like William Goldman and Arthur Miller and that matinee idol, Walter Cronkite. Very interesting interview coming up. Arlen Peters this week on Hollywood and Levine. Dirty Dancing. Now, here is a movie that is a longtime popular favorite, but this is a movie that when they were making it, nobody expected anything much from this, did they? No, and the truth is a little backstory to this. Uh, a company called Vestron Pictures came, put them, got themselves together, and that was the first film they did. Prior to that... They released VHS tapes. That shows you as far as back. <laughs> so now they decided they're going to go into movie production. And um, I knew some people, and they really didn't know about movie production. And here's this first film they have called Dirty Dancing. And at that time, my partner and I went to their offices in Connecticut, and we sat down. Again, neophytes in movie production, you guys have done a lot of these behind-the-scenes things. Tell us what we need to do. And so we had this meeting, okay, fine, now skip ahead to the movie, which was shot in a very, very small town called Lake Lure, North Carolina. Yeah, it was shot in the winter too, right? It was supposed very to be cold. the summer, and they're frolicking around uh, 
you know, in the water, and it's probably like 20 degrees. It was very cold, and I think it was like an abandoned, uh, I don't know, Girl Scout or Boy Scout camp or something in the woods, uh-huh. really in the middle of nowhere. It was pretty, but it was in the middle of nowhere. Unabomber was in the next cabin. And probably, it, yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> so anyhow... Um, uh, so there we are, and they're doing this film, and of course, no one really is aware of the film, and at that point, the music was another star of that film, if you recall. Sure, yeah. The, the soundtrack. It was the big star, actually. But it was, it was Patrick Swayze, and he wasn't really a big name at that point, and people knew him, and Jennifer Grey, who I don't think that many people knew. No. And here we are. and With they, her original face. With her original face. Yes. Pre-nose job. Mm-hmm. And so here we are in this little town, and um, again, and the choreographer at that time was a man named Kenny Ortega, who went on to fame later on because he worked with Michael Jackson and actually was working on the last project when Michael Jackson, you know, passed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so here was Kenny, and he was really uh, a really energetic, good guy. But again, what happened was they really didn't plan ahead on this. They didn't know. And rehearsals, which would have been a good thing to shoot, and an interview with him working with the dancers would have been a good thing to shoot before production. They didn't do it. So what we did was we faked a thing with him. And I sat down, did an interview with him talking about all the dance moves. They were already into the production. Now, people like Patrick Swayze, who was a very pleasant guy, but none of these people had any idea what they were doing. Uh (laughs) They thought this was just going to be a very small film. And when I go back and listen to the interview with Swayze, he just, he had no clue. None of them had any clue of anything. And I remember we shot that very famous dance scene at the end where she jumps off the stage and Mm -hmm. and he holds her up. He holds her up and the the whole thing. That was done, I swear, it must have been 20 degrees outside. Wow. You were there for that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, with Kenny Ortega and the other assistant choreographer working with them. And it was... Again, it's so interesting to watch a movie like this be, being made, and you have no clue it's going to turn out to be this sure. very famous yeah. thing. Now, the one thing that stuck out in my mind and my partner's mind at that time, they had what they call a scratch track music track, which is a rough music track okay. of that for that dance scene uh-huh. of the song that went on to win the Oscar for Best Song, The Time of Your Life. Your Life, yeah. And we said to the movie company, we said, you know, this is even as a scratch track thing. Yeah, that's going to be the song. Well, we really should do something. No, no, it's going to be for RCA Records. We don't care to publicize that. Well, it turned out that we were able to extract some money from them. And we shot a thing with, um, uh, you know, when they were doing the music video for that. And, of course, it becomes the the you know song of the year at the oscars now have you ever had a situation as you said you don't know whether or not a movie is going to be a hit but sometimes you can get the sense that it's going to be a dog now have you ever interviewed any actors on set who said either on camera or off camera this is just a fucking stink burger (laughs) <laughs> this is terrible. Why did I get myself into this thing? This is never going to be released. Well, uh, actually, it wasn't on set, but actually the words came out of Harrison, Harrison Ford's mouth. <laughs> uh, we were producing a press junket. Okay. What movie? Uh, it Star was, Wars. 
You know, I've actually blocked it. No, it wasn't Star Wars. I've actually this blocked Verizon it. Commercial. It was some yeah. kind of romantic film. I, you know, I swear. Sabrina, I, maybe? No, no. I don't remember the actual name of the <laughs> film now. But I remember going into one of the suites where we would shoot. And in New York, some of those big suites had um, uh, balconies, terraces. He's ready to jump. Well, he's walking in <laughs> from, the, from the thing. And I said, Harrison, don't jump. And he said, with this movie, I should. Uh-huh. And I thought, now that wasn't for broadcast, <laughs> but I thought, well, okay, he's being honest about it. So that was, uh, he, well, I, I just don't think he liked the movie. But normally, no, you don't really have people bad-mouthing the movies. And that doesn't happen. Okay. Um, among the many movies that you worked on was Best in Show, which is one of my favorite movies because I love that whole Christopher Guest troupe, all those SCTV people. What were they like? Well, I'm a big fan. Again, your background is comedy. I have done comedy things. I love SCTV. And it was a pleasure to work on this film uh-huh. and to work with these people. And Eugene Levy and Jane Lynch, uh, and, 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 Jane Lynch yeah. was there. And, of course, Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed Fred. And that's when he left me to go and do that incredibly funny piece he did in the movie, which was... I think most of it was ad lib. I was going to ask you, uh, how scripted was that movie? I mean, was a lot of it improvised? It struck me that most of this was very loose, that they had, uh-huh. a, they had a rough outline, and most of it was very loose, and that was the way Christopher Guest liked to work with his people. Now, Christopher Guest, considering the funny movies he's made, very quiet, almost shy. That's what I hear. No, no interview. I mean, I interviewed everybody on that movie. He had such a great time. Christopher Guest, no. Never looked at me. Never, never. I mean, I was able to shoot behind the scenes footage. No interview, nothing. That's it. It, it was done in Vancouver. And then we picked up, I think it was a day uh, here in, in West L.A. So he just a, shy or he just didn't like you? <laughs> no, I just think that's the way he is. He just uh-huh. didn't like to be bothered. Very focused. Didn't like to be bothered. But the funny anecdote was when we were uh, in West L.A., West Los Angeles, doing this. So there he is. And who comes over to say hello? His wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I actually knew. It's a long story, but I'd known her for years prior to her even being with Christopher Guest. Right. And she sees me. And we're outside. Now, remember, he hasn't said one word to me. He hasn't looked at me. Uh-huh. And now she says, Arlen, my God. And she runs over and throws her arms around me and gives me a big kiss. And I remember him turning around and looking. Wait a minute. Is this the guy doing the interviews? The bi- You're my kissing that is- schmuck. <clears throat> yeah, my wife is, is facing. What's happening here? <laughs> that was a funny moment. There was another funny moment in this. Uh, we were there with real animal training, real dog people. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, there was, um, uh, they had a white poodle, which was like a star of this film. And this woman, most of the people who were the groomers and whose dogs, a lot of very heavy scent women who were very into the dogs uh, for whatever reason. Okay. And Catherine O'Hara, who I love, was, was in, and I happened to be interviewing Catherine O'Hara. And we were fascinated watching this woman just grooming, the, grooming and grooming the, the dog. And we didn't think this woman could hear, but we actually kind of made fun of her after the interview. Well, it turned out the next morning I go down and uh, having breakfast, and there's Catherine Harold and the woman who's the producer of the film. How's everything? Oh, I had a problem, I had a problem. The woman with the white poodle, she just walked off the film last night. 
really? What, what happened? Well, apparently some people made some deprecating remarks. And <laughs> Catherine O'Hara and Uh-oh. I. So they had to get in a stunt poodle or a stunt white poodle. And <laughs> Catherine turns to me and I turned to her and said, uh-oh. So <laughs> we didn't say anything to anybody, but there was, a, there was that story. Have you ever gotten in trouble on the set? Have you ever blown a, uh, a take? You know, they're uh, blowing up the bridge and the bridge in the River Kwai, and they only have one shot at it, and there you are in the middle. I know it's uh, a little before your time, but, you know, that kind of example. Did you ever uh, get yourself in trouble? Nothing that bad, and luckily something did happen, but it was on the set of American Beauty, and I was doing the -the behind-the-scenes thing, and we were on a back lot in Burbank working, and it's the scene where Annette Benning comes home and Kevin Spacey is in the garage pumping iron and she's right. got grocery bags mm-hmm. and she looks in. Mm-hmm. Well, we had shot a little bit of the rehearsal of that and whenever we shoot a rehearsal, uh, we always, you know, I'll look for where the camera is and all that. And we were very safe and there was plenty of room, so my cameraman and I are, are over and here's the, you know, the the clapper and, and okay, action. And the thing starts out and then she's the thing and all of a sudden I see the camera swing around. Uh-oh. And one thing you don't ever want to do when you're shooting behind the scenes is to be have the camera, the film camera, pointing at you with the talent <laughs> of the movie. You don't yeah. want that. You don't want that. No, no. So the camera swings around, and now it's a two shot of Annette Benning and myself. <laughs> and I hear, you know, cut, cut. And Sam Mendes was the director of right. this. Mm-hmm. And now the the crew's laughing. Thank sure. God they're laughing. Yeah. Sam Mendes walks over and. You know, I am so embarrassed. And Sam Mendes walks over, and he puts his arm around me. Annette Benning is laughing, and he says, so what do you think, Annette? Should we go with Arlen first on the billing, and then you, or do you mind? And, and what had happened was, I guess they moved a camera position or something. <clears throat> and there it was. There, there we were on camera together. <laughs> so needless to say, it was okay, but if there was a problem... There was a, there was another time, one other time, in New York, in Central Park, and this was a George Clooney movie, and that day when I was out with my crew, Entertainment Tonight was out, oh. and they, they were awful. They would just get in the way of everything, and the producer was a, then she's rather high power now, Linda Opst was her name. Yeah. And um, I know her. So what happens? And I'm, we're off to the side in, again, Central Park. Right. And uh, their camera is shooting a shot of George Clooney with the camera crew shooting George Clooney. Well, the director of photography had the camera. He was operating the camera. He was walking backwards, and of course, the cameraman of Entertainment Times and the director of photography falls over. <clears throat> the cameraman from Entertainment Tonight. Not a good thing to happen when no. you're filming. Mm-hmm. Well, for whatever reason, Linda Opes thought that it was us out there, and she just went absolutely crazy. Get off the set, that's it. It was just before lunchtime, so we took a lunch break. We come back. Then she comes back to me afterwards. I'm so sorry. I didn't want to entertain that. So that's. that's okay. That. All right. You've also interviewed some writers, and since. You know, I'm actually more interested in writers than I am in George Clooney. Um, William Goldman, who just passed away, you got a chance to interview and spend some time with him. I always enjoyed booking 
interviews with writers at lunch because I could spend half hour or so doing the interview, but I could spend an hour and a half sure. having lunch and schmoozing yeah. and picking the I'm brains envious. and all of that. Yeah. And William Goldman, I mean, come on. Yeah. So, Butch Cassidy, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, for anybody who doesn't know who Bill Goldman is. Right. Princess, Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Right. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, I did a lot of interviews at the Beverly Hills Hotel in the Polo Lounge. That was a favorite, favorite spot. And uh, so there we are sitting in the pole with with Goldman and having a lovely, lovely, I mean, just a mensch. Good guy. Okay. Oh, uh, just wonderful to talk to him Good about to writing, to talk to him about everything. Lovely, lovely man. And, um, and I haven't even done the interview yet. We're just talking at this point. And he says to me, um, I remember he says to me, I can tell you're a writer. And I hadn't even mentioned that I was a writer. And I said... Why is that? He says, because your mind thinks like a writer thinks. You're, you're asking about specific things. You're inquisitive in a way that writers are. And I thought, well, that's, that's quite a compliment. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, it was so fascinating to me that he picked that up. And then, of course, we did the interview, which was, you should pardon the pun, it was gold uh-huh. for Goldman. And uh, just lovely. And I think altogether, I must have been with him for about three hours. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. and it was just, I, I couldn't get enough. But, and he was very receptive. You don't want to take people's time up. But he really, he really enjoyed talking. And I always remember that compliment. So, On the other hand, you interviewed Arthur Miller. And from what I understand, he is not such a nice fellow. Arthur Miller? Again, to me, he was, he was fine. Um, I don't think you ever saw many interviews with him. Uh, this was a, a, a project he had with Fox. And uh, the truth is, I talked to him. Most of the interview was done by my client. And it, to be honest with you, it was a terrible interview. Uh, but prior well, to... Well, he's always very surly. I mean, I've seen him on interviews like with Charlie Rose. Remember that guy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he's always just kind of curt and surly and... Well, it doesn't hide the fact that he had a lot of disdain for everything and everybody. Well, it's Marilyn Monroe, I guess. It's it's interesting. I do remember asking him a question. This again, not on camera, uh, not on tape, but I asked him a question. I said, um, uh, or I had mentioned that I had seen Death of a Salesman, which was on Broadway at that time, with Dustin Hoffman playing Willie Loman. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and he, he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, what did you think of that? And he paused and he said, well, Dustin was working very hard. <laughs> and I thought, okay. I you think, know what? I, I think agree we know with this him. That was sort of my review, too. Yeah. I, I, I thought Hoffman as okay. Willie Loman. It was like Lee J. Cobb, and then that was pretty much it. But So that was Arthur Miller, who was, again, with me, it was fine. But I found over the years, I always try to find out from people who have done interviews with people. What can I expect? What is this person like? Most of the times, it's they're correct. But there have been some times where I've met people who I expected, oh, going to be problems. And they were sweethearts. So who knows? You also dealt with a lot of comedians or comic actors. Steve Martin. Now, Steve Martin, I got to know just a 
little bit when I was writing on the Tracy Ullman show. And the Steve Martin that you normally see, that wild and crazy guy, is not Steve Martin when the cameras aren't rolling. He was very quiet, very introspective. What was your impression of working or interviewing Steve Martin? Exactly. And the truth is I have found most of the comedy people I've worked with are more serious. Um, in Steve Martin's case, it was a movie called Roxanne. And Great movie. By the way, if you've never seen that, he wrote and directed that movie. No, I don't think he directed it. He wrote and he starred in it. But of all of his movies, that one and L.A. Story uh, are really the two best. Recommendation. And I worked on L.A. Story as well. But, there you go. But Roxanne, I was on the location, and that was also up in Vancouver where they were doing that. And uh, Fred Willard, again, was in that movie. And I bumped Stalking into... Stalking him. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I, it was, again, it was a night shoot, and I was out and about, and there's Fred Willard, and he says hello, and he introduces himself, and I explain what I'm doing, and I said, yeah, I've got some stuff here that I'd love for Steve to do, some comedy stuff. I, I, there were very few instances where I ever wrote material for somebody to do on a, on a movie shoot because they never had any time. There was never time to do, sure. to do this. And he said, well, has, have you met Steve? And I said, oh, no, I well, come on, come on. So Fred takes me. We go to Steve straight, knocks on the door. And Steve also was a co-producer on that, too. Okay. And so Steve was very quietly going through things. Fred comes in. And he, Fred takes me into the trailer and, and introduces me to Steve. And he says, um, Steve, Arlen's got some stuff he wants to do with you. It's really some cute stuff. And so I hand Steve the you know outline of some things I wanted to do. And Steve looks at it and he goes, yeah, this is, this is cute. Can we, can we play with this? I said, yeah, but I don't know how much time you have. He said, oh, I'll make time for this. Well, you, how long are you here? And it was, I was there three or four days. He said, yeah, well, you know, get me and we'll... And so for like three or four days, I, I did an interview with him. And again, a very introspective, very intelligent man, mm -hmm. but not Mr. Shtick. He's not right. doing that. Right. And sure enough, we did these these little comedy things, and it was it was lovely working with him. He said he would do what I had, and he said, how about this or that? I said, that's good. Steve, what about this? Yeah, yeah. And we did these little things. You know what? They never saw the light of day because the producer of this movie – was a man named Dan Melnick, who has since passed away, heavy, heavyweight producer in Hollywood, who had no sense of humor and <laughs> killed all this stuff. But all I can say is I had a lovely time interviewing Steve and working with him from a comedic standpoint. What about Bill Murray? You worked on Ghostbusters. Again, people said to me, oh, my God, Murray is a handful this is going to be awful, this is, you know, and that was the first time, and I also did um, uh, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Okay. So Ghostbusters, you know, people said, oh, Bill, 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 Bill. Couldn't have been nicer, came in on time, did his stuff. I remember we had Dan Aykroyd that day, too, right. who was, uh, uh, Dan is very intelligent. Dan tries too hard to be funny. He's really <laughs> working to be funny, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and... and <clears throat> I was going to ask you, did Bill Murray try to be funny or was he just Bill he Murray? Was, I guess a lot of times these guys, once they get on camera, yeah, they do kind of go into their persona. They go into their act. Uh, yeah, but he was Bill Murray. 
the funny thing was on Groundhog Day, this is a, another thing, on Groundhog Day, this was one of these press junkets. And this was up in San Francisco where we're in one of these exclusive Knob Hill hotels. Right. And so Bill Murray comes out. He sees me and he knows who I am. And he comes over and we're having this conversation. His back is to the lobby area here. Okay. And we have this conversation. And he says, um, at one point, he says, are they still here? And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, are those studio people still here? Is it safe? Well, pretty much. That's what he was Is saying. And I said, yeah. He said, tell me when they're, they're wandering away. And that's what he, he was having the conversation with me. And we were having an interesting conversation, but he didn't want to deal with the studio people for <laughs> any reason. So that's why we had this conversation. You also uh, interviewed people during premieres. Now, some of those can be very hectic, can't they? I hated, of everything I did, I hated premieres. Because you had nine million other guys with microphones. Well, in a way I was blessed because most of the premieres I did, I was doing for the studio. So that was so a blessing. So you got a prime location. Got a prime location, but the downside was a lot of the work I was doing was for the international side of the studio, which meant this wasn't going to be on the 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock news here. This was going to be on prime time the next day around the world, and they wanted a fully produced piece with mix together and, and all of this. So normally, here's some sound bites, here's some behind-the-scenes footage, and here you go. No, 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 no. Had, with a voiceover person, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, I'm writing a script and, on the fly, and we're doing a voiceover to produce this piece to get to a satellite company who's going to feed it out all over the world. Since it's international, does that mean... Okay, Julia Roberts comes by, Aaron Brockovich, and you say, Julia, what do you think of Stockholm? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's your favorite uh, vacation destination <laughs> in Europe? No, no, it, was, it stuck to the film. Okay. But what happened, especially people like Julia Roberts, at least I would have a little room. But, I mean, literally you have like six inches of room. They tape off on the ground where you're supposed to stand. So I would have a camera right next to my ear with a hand mic, and you couldn't move, literally. You had to stand straight ahead because you couldn't move. And if I turned my head, I'd hit it on the camera. What do you ask so, these actors, too? Because it's, well, you excited? This is a great night? Uh, I hear this is a great movie. I mean, what are you going to ask? They're all going to go, oh, it's just so wonderful to be here, and I love my fans, and get out of the way. No, I have to honestly say I've never asked, are you excited to be here? I hate those kind what of questions. What kind of questions do you ask? Well, uh, first off, again, I'll back up with somebody like Julia who does not like doing interviews, really. And she hates these kind of premieres. So uh, if, don't blame her. So, of course, what happens is they come at the just prior to the movie starting. Okay. So you have, you know, a thousand people out there. Interesting, the premiere was in Westwood, not far from here. Mm -hmm. at the, so there I am on the street in Westwood. People are screaming. You can't barely hear anything. <laughs> people are coming in. Where's Julia? Well, here's the car. And again, two minutes before the movie is supposed to start. And Julia comes by and the still cameras. Are they saved her picture. a seat. What's that? They saved her a seat. Oh, they saved her a yeah. seat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the cameras are, are, are clicking. And thank heavens, here's the PR person who stops Julie, who just wants to go in the theater. And she points at me 
because that's the one interview she has to do because the international thing was very important. So Julia turns around and she sees me and there's a big smile. And she's like, why don't you say that? So now she comes over and we do our thing. But it's basically, I think I asked her, and again, you have like three, four minutes at the most sure. to do this. Mm-hmm. And I said to her... She's uh, missing the trailers. I mean, yeah, she's yeah. missing the, uh, the the cartoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said to her, I said, what is it like playing a living person who is actually there? I had talked to Aaron Brockovich before Julia. Okay. So it was that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that type of a... a and, and I've heard Julia on interviews, and she's actually very good. She is. I guess once you get her, she seems kind of fun. Yeah, but she has a temper on her. And I know, again, since she wasn't doing anything and you're all squashed together, here I am talking to her, all of a sudden, here comes a boom mic from... I don't know who this guy was, and some guy's asking a question, and she just simply turned and said, I'm doing this interview, not with you. And that was, but a friend of mine said to me, did you do an interview with Julia Roberts? Uh, I said, well, yeah, I've done so. At a premiere? I said, yeah, how would you know? Why are you asking that? Well, it's on YouTube, and there it is. Now, again, that was stolen footage by another camera was there. Uh-huh. But there I am on YouTube. Again, I'm not on camera. You see my, my hand with the microphone. That's all you ever saw on camera <laughs> was my wrist and microphone. <laughs> Has an actor ever blown up at you? Has he ever lost its temper, his temper, her temper at you? Well, I think I mentioned our first round of things. We had the Richard Pryor thing. Yeah, right? Richard, Pryor, Richard Pryor hated everybody. One, yeah. Uh, God, of all things, you know what comes to mind? Treat Williams. Okay. Comes to mind. He was a little surly. And I think the worst was Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. I don't even what remember. What did you movie. do? What did you do? I went what, to do what caused it? Uh, uh, well, I found out after the fact. You know, it was a get the fuck away from me. I, you know, and there was no interview done, and one of the should have uh, given him a joint. You would have had well, no problem. One of the one of the uh, <laughs> ads, one of the assistant directors, said to me later on, "Don't don't take that personally." And it turned out there was a a lot going on there, like some. Uh, well, I we won't want to get into it, but there's a little sexual flings and other things that were well, going on. I think we on. do want to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> he was having a little fling with the director's wife, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it was like, <laughs> oh. Well, so I don't know what that had to do with me, but uh-huh. goodbye, Chris, goodbye. I didn't have to do an interview with him. Who cares? Okay. You know, so, um, Are there some actors that if you are told, hey, you get a chance to interview such and such, that you just go, you know what? Life's too short. I... I don't want to bother with this asshole. Well, I can't really do that because I'm being paid to do the things. All right. I can do is is put it out there. And if they don't want to do it, I remember a Dabney Coleman who um, had a thing on a movie set. He didn't want to be bothered with interviews at all. He could shoot footage, but didn't want to be bothered with interviews. When he was done, fine. And... I got a call. That's fair. They finished their That's filming. Fair. Yeah. And he lived in Brentwood. And uh, Dabney would like to do this interview with you, uh, you know, next week. And went over and he was fine. And he thanked me very much for, you know, giving him his space. I've never quite understood how an actor doing a scene could then step out of that scene 
and be a chucklehead with me doing, doing an interview. <laughs> I know, there are and then some go back into a scene. And then you have, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, who <laughs> talked like Lincoln for six months, and everyone had to call him Mr. President or something. Well, this is a, here's a funny story you mentioned about that. Rod Steiger, very well-known actor, he had done, he was doing a movie called W.C. Fields and Me. Oh, it's a terrible movie. Terrible yeah. movie. Yes. But Rod... My little chickadee. Well, yeah, Rod was Steiger terrible. was a method actor. Mm-hmm. So, which means he became W.C. Fields, and that's who he was. So, when I did the interview with him, I was interviewing W.C. Fields. I wasn't interviewing Rod Steiger, which was very... And I thought, okay, you want to do it a little bit. He never broke character. He was always W.C. Fields. So that was a little strange. Right. Remember Barry Humphreys, who was Dame Edna, Dame Edna, saying that they got him to guest on, um, I think it was Ally McBeal, playing Dame Edna. So here he is on the set playing this character, having to read lines because Edna was playing a different character. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how bizarre was that? You also worked sometime at CBS News. And before I let you go, I want to ask you about working with, say, Walter Cronkite or um, Dan Rather. Well, what was interesting about that was um, I had been in the mailroom and then, to make a long story short, a person upstairs had a health problem and couldn't had to leave, couldn't go back to work, and they asked if I would like to take his job, anything get out of the mailroom. Sure. Well, part of his job was, which I didn't know at that time, was working, being the network kind of producer with all of these CBS radio network people. And at that time, that was the days of Kuralt and, and Cronkite and Dan Rather. So Rather and Cronkite would do radio back then as well as television? Because you never think of them as doing radio. No, they had daily radio things. CBS had a thing. Again, radio has completely changed from back. It's dead now. Yes, it's dead. But CBS had a series of shows called Dimension. And, I mean, everybody. Dear Abby had a Dimension show. I worked with Dear Abby, for God's sake. Hers was called Dementia. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not touching that line. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was good, though. Um, I worked with Betty White and Alan Ludden had a, had a show. But all of the news people had a Dimension show, and every day it was a news thing. And again, all of these great news people. Well, most of the time they'd be in Washington, they'd be in New York, and it was fine. But, you know, they would travel a lot, too. Mm-hmm. So what they didn't tell, they said, you know, you'd have to do. They, they weren't specific on what my duties were with this. And I was sitting in my office at CBS once and I pick up the phone and I hear this voice, Arlen Peters. And I said, yes, Arlen, Walter Cronkite. And I thought, oh, okay, it's a friend doing a joke. Okay. And I was about to say, ah, yeah, right, sure. It's Arlen, I understand that I need to talk to you about, oh my God, it's Walter Cronkite. What happened was he was doing some stuff out here and he had a daily thing you know he wanted me to set up the studio so he could come in and then i would honcho that make sure it's done and commercials put in and then we sure. feed it back to new york mm-hmm. so only once with cronkite the one i worked with more often than anybody else was uh, dan rather because at that time rather was the white house correspondent and uh and watergate was going on 
So he was out on the West Coast a lot with Nixon. And Dan would come running in all the time to, to do things, you know, to do updates and reports and things like that. Good guy from what I understand. Uh, and he was the only one. He actually had a book. And I interviewed him for his book. So he comes and he says, oh, my God, now you're interviewing me. And we sat down, by the way, superb interview and just lovely to deal with, a real pro. And I remember he autographed the book for me. He said, to Arlen, a real pro. Thanks, Dan. And I thought, you know, very nice. Okay, final question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Ace interviewer that you are, you have one question you can ask me. Okay? What's the one question that you want to ask me? Well, a question that I would ask legends when I... People who had done no, so me. much. Asking uh, me. No, no, oh, I'm, okay. I'm considering you... In the comedy field, a, a, a legend okay. with a huge background. I'm putting you with all these people, truthfully. Um, what I would always say is you've done all of this work. What is it that you haven't done that you would want to do right today? That's a great question. That is a great question. I would say I would love to be, and this is going to sound crazy because... These shows no longer exist. I always thought the greatest job would be a TV panelist. You know, where you come in like a what's my line or an I've got a secret or to tell the truth. And you do no prep work because you're not supposed to know who the person is or what his job is. And to just come in and be on national television for half an hour and be witty and toss out a couple of one-liners, that to me would be the world's greatest job. That's the job that I always wanted. Ken Levine, Match Game 2019. I'm, I'm available. I'm available. Let's do it. Me and Gary Berghoff and uh, is Brett Summers still around? I don't know. No, they're all gone yeah, now. Yeah, they're all gone. Yeah, that's, that's the problem with being on these shows. You wind up dead. <laughs> Gary Berghoff is still around. Anyway, Arlen, thanks so much. And again, if you want to go back, since I had him on in 2017 for two episodes. So if you enjoyed this, go back and listen to episode 48 and 49. Arlen, thanks so much. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you. And there's your celebrity dish for the week. I'm doing you a public service. Now you don't have to watch TMZ. Our thanks to Arlen Peters. By the way, he is also a very well-renowned public speaker. And if you would like to get him to talk to your group, well, just get in touch with him, Arlen P, that's A-R-L-E-N-P, at roadrunner.com, Arlen P at roadrunner.com. He's got a lot of fascinating stuff and even some PowerPoint. So, boy, that's, that's the whole package. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, to Howard Hoffman and John Wolfert. You may follow me on Twitter, and a lot of people are dropping out. Maybe it's just the bots that they're eliminating. But, uh, you know, what's happening to my Twitter feed here, people? Come on. Sign aboard, at Ken Levine. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. That's Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. I'm on Instagram. Who isn't? Hollywood and Levine. Please subscribe. I will see you next week. And when you do write me, 
I actually do write you back, and I actually do listen to your suggestions. Case in point, a lot of you have said, we missed the jingle. We want the jingle back. And so, Hollywood and the 